You are listening to the Ingenious Podcast, where God's word is shared to build undisputed champions and mighty redeemers. This message is brought to you by the Ingenious Network. Enjoy the message. We are talking about expectations in the temple, but today what I'm trying to do is I've been thinking about, I'm just trying to take you through some of the things I've been thinking about. And for the past week, one of the things I've been thinking about is trying to make sense of all the demands that God is making as we are trying to approach him in the temple. I believe that when we look at the Old Testament and we look at the New Testament, it presents us two different approaches to coming to God. It is the same approach, just that in the latter, that is in the New Testament, the work of Christ has made our approach much more simpler. But we started with Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 and 9 and we saw how God was talking about making a tabernacle so that he would dwell among the people not only that he is also instructing us to make it according to the pattern that he is showing Moses and as we saw last week Thursday we there is the pattern of the tabernacle and there is the pattern of the furnishings or the instruments. If you haven't listened to the message, we have uploaded the message so you can go back and listen to it and you know what the pattern of the instrument is. Now, aside that, I mean, when we continue to go through the book of Exodus, you are going to see that God made all these demands of Israel in the building of the temple, regarding the building of the temple. Then, when we come to Exodus 26, it talks about the requirements, the the kind of things he's expecting them to use to build a tabernacle. When we come to Exodus 27, it talks about the bronze altar, the court of the tabernacle, and the oil for the lamp. These are all things that God is demanding of the people. When I say the people, I'm talking about the priest or the priesthood. But you have to realize that before the priest can make all these things, they will need what we call the contribution of the people. Then when we come to Exodus chapter 29, there is the demand for the consecration of the priest. And when we come to chapter 30, it talks about the altar of incense. It also talks about the census, the tax that they were supposed to pay before they do a census. It talks about the bronze basin. And there is also the requirements for Sabbath in Exodus chapter 31. Then when we go to the book of Leviticus, it has all these requirements for the different offerings that God requires of the people and when we come to particularly when we start from chapter 8 in particular but um when we look at um chapter 2 
coming from chapter 2 to chapter 3, begins to talk about the different laws, right? There is the law for the burnt offering. There is the law for the grain offering. There is the law for the peace offering. There is the law for the uh, guilt offering. There are all these things. And the question is, why, why all this? And, and, and remember, we also did say that there is only one gate or one entry into the presence of God through the east gate. And remember, anytime we come through the east gate, our, our target is to get to the west gate or the west point of the tabernacle because at the west point, that is where we have the Ark of Covenant. That is the dwelling place of God. But we have to go through all these activities. We talked about the activities of the temple. If you also haven't listened to it, we have it uploaded on the Podbean site and on all the other platforms that we are on. You can listen to it, the activities of the temple to know exactly what is done in the temple. It is not a very exhaustive one. It's just a brief... um, we briefly touch on the activities, but at least we do mention it so you know the kind of activities, the purification, the sacrifice, the the service in the temple that is turning to the oil, the lamp, and turning to the table of showbread, and also making uh, intercessions at the altar of incense, and also making atonement for the sins of the people. These are all things that God is requiring of us. But the question is, why are we going through all these things? Why must we go through all these things to get to God? You see, one of the things I believe Christians have not been able to, many believers have not been able to decipher because of that, they don't appreciate some of the things that are done in the house of God or in the temple of God is that they have not attempted to think about why we do the things that we do in the temple of God. Why does God require us to do A, B, C, D in his house before we approach him? So I believe that as we journey upwards, it makes a lot of sense for us to try to understand why God is making all these demands in the temple. Now, when we look at also the kind of things that God is requiring us to to keep, the laws. Remember, the Jewish laws, there are 613 of them. Aside the Ten Commandments, there are 613 laws that was given to them to help them in their daily conduct or in their societal living. How, how can mere mortals memorize 613 laws and make sure that they keep it to the latter? These are all things that we need to think about. And I believe that these are all things that we have to understand. So, for us to appreciate why God is demanding all these things from us before we approach Him, 
we have to start from Genesis. Everything is always going to start from Genesis. So we remember how it was in Genesis. In Genesis, we had the, the ideal situation and that is captured in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 8. When we read Genesis chapter 2, verse number 8, you realize that the Bible says that um, and God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put man whom he had formed and out of the ground the lord god made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden a tree of the knowledge of good and evil it says that and a river verse 10 says that and a river flowed out of eden to water the garden so in the beginning we had that ideal state where god himself created a garden made sure that man had everything that he needed for sustenance for shelter for security he put everything there but we all know what happened we did mess it up and so when we messed it up the bible says in the chapter three that when we read genesis chapter three uh, particularly when we start also reading from um, verse number seven you see something happened after man man disobeyed the lord he says that then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked they knew their eyes were opened and the moment our eyes opened everything began to go downhill for man we are living in an age and i believe i don't know um but i believe that tonight god is trying to paint us a picture of our days and our times we are living in a day in an age where you see the eyes of men are opened he says that and and then we are living in the in the age or the era of knowledge where man can do a lot of things man can even make his own meat man can make his own farm without planting in the in the ground man man has invented so many things and because of that the eyes of man we can see is truly open look at the kind of architecture that we are seeing the kind of engineering feats that we are witnessing the kind of social changes that we are witnessing in our world it tells us that the eyes of man is opened but we know just as in genesis that the moment the eyes of man was opened god rejected man and god removed man from that sacred ground that he had put him where he was where he was literally taken care of so now when our eyes opened one of the things that god did was that he said to us that we should take care of ourselves right he said we should take care of ourselves and when we are still in genesis chapter 3 and when we read genesis chapter 3 uh, particularly verse number um 13 um the lord said to the woman that what is this that you have done the serpent has deceived me he said 
the lord said to the serpent because you have done this cursed are you above all livestock that is to the to the serpent and above all the beasts of the field belly you shall go dust you shall eat all the days of your life i will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel to the woman god said i will surely multiply your pain in childbearing in pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be contrary to your husband but you shall but he shall rule over you and to adam god said that because you listen to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which i commanded you see that's the word i commanded you you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground for your sake cursed is the ground because of you and he did not only just curse the ground he said that in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return so this was the imperfect state that we found ourselves when the eyes of man was literally opened when we became conscious when we became self-aware you see that's the thing that happened when man fell man became self-aware and you are going to realize that from that day onward a lot of the actions and the decisions of man was going to be in relation to self-awareness you realize that you and i you and i we are selfish in nature uh, most of the decisions that we take even now we the question that we ask is what is in it for us what is in it for me uh, why should i help you so we realize that self-awareness became a problem of man you see because until the fall we were not self-aware until the fall we were aware of god we are uh, we were aware of the blessing we were aware of his peace we were aware of the joy but the moment we lost it by breaking the command we became self-aware we saw how naked we were and you see whenever man is naked the first thing that you begin to think of is how do i cover myself so you are going to realize that all the effort of man is going to be how do i cover myself so we began to learn how to cover ourselves but god was telling us that in our attempt to cover ourselves we are going to do it under a curse under a curse so when man fell you have to understand that satan's influence became greater in the earth realm now remember we are talking about making sense of all the demands that god is making concerning the expectations that he has of us in the temple now remember we've said that the temple 
we are whenever I say the temple, you you should you and I should think of the temple in two sense. The meeting place and the dwelling place. The meeting place is the physical structure that we, we gather in to have fellowship together. And the dwelling place is regarding us human beings. Where in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, we are told that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But God is has all these expectations of us concerning coming into his temple, fellowshipping in his temple, concerning how to carry the activities in his temple. We have to understand why all these things have been instituted. And so now, the point I'm making is that the fall ushered us into an era of toil, into an era of self-awareness, into an era where we were living under the curse. And so, and it was not only an era where we were living under the case, it was also an era where the influence of the Satan, the accuser, had been greatly amplified. He had been greatly resourced by our disobedience. Because of that, he had greater influence in the earth. So the question is, how can mere mortals fight an invincible being that seemingly is wiser, smarter, more knowledgeable, and more powerful than us. And this is where I believe that God instituted the temple process. Now remember, you said that the temple process, as in concerning the construction, it, it started with the God teaching man how to raise altars. Now altars were for invitation and invocation. And when altars were built, God demanded that that, that that territory where the altar was raised, that, that territory should be protected and secured for him. So we call something the sacred ground, a defined territory where God is. And that is mostly the place where a shrine or a temple was constructed. And when it was constructed, remember, the purpose of the temple is to host and to house God, to house a deity. And as we are doing this, he did not just say that build it. He said build it, and after that, he encumbered with so much rules. If you are coming to me, you have to wear a particular clothing. You have to uh, um, go through certain processes. Uh, Okay, I don't also want everybody to come to me. I want a particular family to come to me. What are we supposed to do with all these things? Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, I believe, is a good place for us to make sense of what God was trying to do. You see, in Jeremiah chapter 29, God is about to assure Jeremiah of his covenant. And remember, the covenant is revealed I believe in Jeremiah chapter 31, when God tells you that I will make a new covenant with you. And in this new covenant, nobody is going to tell his neighbor that know the Lord. But before that, he he had to reveal his intention. Why has God instituted temple, temple processes, temple principles, temple procedures, temple activities, 
Why are all these temple demands and requirements there for us to adhere to? He says that I know the plans I have for you. That is Jeremiah 29 verse 11. I know the plans I have for you. They are plans to give you a future and a hope. So in making sense of all these things, we have to understand that God is trying to give us the future and the hope that he had originally intended for us. For us to live in an Eden, for us to live in an environment where he takes care of us. The garden was planted by God. The trees, it was God that caused them to come up. The trees, it was God that caused water from the ground to water it. So you see, God wants to bring us to that place where he can be a father to us. Every system that he has put in place, every procedure, every every requirement, every demand concerning the temple is to bring us to a place where he can be a father to us. Now, we have to understand that certain things took effect. I've mentioned some of the things that took effect when we fell. Some of the things that took effect is that, first of all, trust was broken. When we read Genesis chapter 3, we see God's disappointment. He said, have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? So we realize that when we, when we ate or when we sinned in the garden, trust was broken. When trust was broken, we also see that fear was introduced in our relationship with God. Prior to the eating of the fruit, Adam and Eve, we were never told, were afraid of God. But after they had eaten of the food, we are told that they became afraid. Adam said that, I heard your voice walking in the garden and I was afraid. So we see that fear has been introduced. We also see in the curse, especially in verses Genesis chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, that strife and toil entered into man's life strife and toil he said that the ground will yield thorns and thistles he said that you will sweat to eat the bread that the 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 the, the food that you are going to cultivate you are going to sweat to eat it then we also saw that an entire race was enslaved as i said the influence of the satan or the satan was greatly amplified so we saw that because of this disobedience, an entire race was enslaved. So God decided that he has plans that he wanted to bring to pass. He has plans and that plan was to bring us to that place where he can be a father. Not just our father, but he can also be our God. You know, when we read the Psalms and also when we read the Gospel, when Jesus was being crucified, one of the statements he made was that, the oh Lord my God, you know, to bring us to the place where we can boldly exclaim, oh Lord my God, oh Lord my God. So, we see God put in place the temple, its systems, 
its practices, its principles, and he's making all these demands for us. Now, remember, the demands had to put us in a certain place where we could relearn certain things. So, we are not going to be able to read everything, but I do encourage you that take your time and read the book of Leviticus. Those who don't like reading the Old Testament, and when you are reading the Old Testament, you are yawning and you are you are counting the sheep in your head please take your time and read some of the things that god demanded of us especially when we look at the levitical priesthood now i'm not going to go through it but as i mentioned when you look at from chapter one the the law concerning the bench offering the law concerning the peace offering the law concerning the food offering the law concerning the guilt offering you know there is the law for the priest concerning the sabbath there is the law for the people concerning the sabbath concerning what to bring into the temple concerning what not to bring into the temple even if you were going to have a census there was a requirement why because this is what god wanted to do everything that we are being told to do especially when we think of it in light of temple activities it is one so that one we will learn obedience that we will learn obedience if you are taking note i want you to write it every temple activity every temple system every temple process every temple demand that god has asked of us is to help us to learn obedience because one in the garden we disobeyed and so now man has been um, created in such a way that we are naturally prone to disobey so now he has instituted all these processes all these systems to help us to learn obedience the second thing he wants us to learn is to learn selflessness 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 the third is for us to learn what it means to sacrifice the fourth is to learn self-control you know the bible says that the reason why we sinned it wasn't it was because we lacked self-control the bible says that the the the, the snake or the serpent told eve did the Lord God surely say that if you eat of this fruit, you will die? But you see, it, it wasn't just about she dying. When you read the text in Genesis chapter 2, it says that she saw the fruit and it was, it was pleasing to the eye and it was good for food. So she just saw the jollof, she saw the banku. You said that today I am fasting. And you went to the house, you saw how the 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 aben pine and the apontin and the yemwadier <laughs> and then you realize that Charlie 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 Miana Mekanya but <laughs> tomorrow we will fast. Today dear, let's break our fast. So it was because we did not have self-control. So all these things has been put in place one that we will learn obedience two that we will learn selflessness because remember i said that the moment we ate we became self-aware so now we began to live for ourselves no longer for god 
So at the end of the day, instead of God taking care of us, we have to take care of ourselves. Then we have to learn to sacrifice. Um, the other one is we have to learn self-control. The fifth one is that he has put all these things in place so that we will learn to recognize wisdom. A lot of us are yet to recognize wisdom in the teaching of the word. You see, when we read the Bible and the Bible says, don't do this, don't do that, don't say this, don't say that, don't think like this, don't think like that. It is so that we will recognize wisdom, the activity of wisdom, the ways of wisdom, the acts of wisdom. The sixth thing is that so that we will learn to live above the cares. You see, as long as Israel kept the processes, as long as Israel kept to the system that was giving them in the temple to keep, they lived under the blessing of God. They did not live in the curse. So all these things have been given to us so that we will learn to live above the curse. The seventh thing is that, that we will learn to trust God again. God is trying to teach us how to trust in him again and the last point i believe is that that we will learn the ways of love everything that god has said we should do in the temple is so that we will learn the ways of love so i have given you eight points the first one is that in trying to make sense of all the things that we are supposed to do in god's house whether it is in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, we have to understand that God has instituted all these processes, approaches, requirements, activities, situations, adherences, ordinances, laws, so that one, we will learn obedience, two, that we will learn selflessness, three, that we will learn how to sacrifice, for that we will learn how to work under self-control. Five, to recognize wisdom and the ways of wisdom. Six, that we will learn to live above the curse. Seven, to learn to trust. Then eight, to learn the ways of love. Now, I want to add a ninth point, but I feel like it is more of a part of the the sixth point you see anybody living under the curse is somebody that is living under the influence of the enemy so if you learn to live above the curse it means that you are living your life beyond the influence of the enemy many of us are, are christians but we are afraid of the devil but god is trying to help us know that we don't have to live our lives being afraid again. We can live boldly in his presence again. Now, remember, I'm just going to mention some of the things that we have to make sense of. We have to make sense of the purification processes. Remember, the liver bronze, the liver bronze 
contained the purifying water where the priests were supposed to purify themselves before they attempted to sacrifice unto God and to carry out any temple activity. So there is the purification requirement. There is the purification requirement. We have to make sense of it. God wants you to live a pure life because of these eight things that we have mentioned. Then there is also the sacrificial part. The sacrifice. The sacrifice is what the priest offers to God. For those of us that are bringing the sacrifice, it is what we call our giving and our contribution to the house of God. You have to understand why you are giving and why you are contributing to the house of God. It is because of these eight things that we've talked about. You have to understand prayer. 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 You have to make sense. The reason why you are supposed to pray is because of these eight points that we've talked about. Then, also learning the Bible, studying the Bible, getting to know the laws of God, what God actually sees. It is so that we can understand these eight points. Now, how do I say so? To, to, to bolster my point with all the, uh, the other things I have said, I want us to read um, Philippians chapter 2. Now, Philippians chapter 2 is the story of Jesus and the example he came to set for us when he came to the earth as man. Now, remember, Jesus is God and Jesus. And when Jesus came to the earth, he lived as man. So this is what in the book of Philippians we, we are told. I'm starting from verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from one selfish ambition or conceit. So now we see that he's trying to address the issue of the, of the fall. Selfishness, living for the self. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Learning to appreciate the effort of others. Learning the way of love, right? Let each of you look not only to his own interest. Once again, we are dealing with the issue of selfishness, self-awareness. Do not look to your own interest, but to the interest of others, learning the way of love. Have this mind among yourself, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God. Now, this is where it gets interesting. You see, in the new covenant, Christ elevates us to the status of the Godhead. Because now we have become joint heirs with Christ. And the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians that we have become one spirit with the Lord. So we have become one spirit with the Lord. We have attained unity with the Lord. And we have become, spiritually, we are in the status of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 says that we are seated together with him 
in the heavenly place right so right now we are seated where christ is that is our status now that is our positioning now so we are now in the form of god but he said that did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped you know when we look at um isaiah chapter um 14 and ezekiel chapter 28 and we are told about lucifer the morning star and the king of tar and the prince of tar particularly the prince of tar one of the things we see about the prince of tar and, and 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 the anointed cherub in isaiah chapter 14 is that they desired to be in the mountain of god they desired to sit in the high place let's 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 go there so let's look at isaiah chapter 14 and let's look at what it says right it says that starting from verse 12 how are you falling from heaven O day star son of the dawn how do you, how are you cut down to the ground you who lead the nations low now remember we said that the fall brought a greater influence in the earth realm to the enemy so he said that he made the nations low you said in your heart i will ascend to heaven now that is pride right that is pride that is selfishness and I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will be the most recognized, the most famous being in the entire universe. And he said, I, I will set my throne on high. He was trying to usurp the throne of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly. He wanted to be the center of worship. In the far reaches of the north, I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So we see Satan here reaching out to be just like God. But we read in Philippians chapter 2 and we are told that even though Christ was God, he did not see equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not set his mind on the throne. He did not set his mind on usurping the father. He did not set his mind on snatching the throne from him. But the Bible said that he made himself like a servant. He abased himself. Made himself of no reputation. And he learned obedience. You see? Come to church at 8 o'clock. It is not because the pastor is saying come to church at 8 o'clock. It is so that you will learn obedience. It is so that you and I will, will learn obedience. The thing that we lost in the beginning, God is trying to restore us. You see, every temple system, every temple activity, every temple process is God's attempt in us to restore us. It is God's restoration process initiated in us. The moment we begin to allow the temple and its influence to have effect in us. It is God's restoration agenda. So, we are supposed to learn obedience. Satan in Isaiah 14 did not learn obedience. Now, I want us to look at something also in Ezekiel, the Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, I want you to understand that, you know, sometimes you are listening to preachers and overzealous preachers 
They say all kinds of ridiculous things about Satan that he is foolish, he is not wise. No. Satan is a very wise person. Ezekiel 28, verse 1 said, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre. Now, the prince of Tyre, the, the Bible scholars believe is not a human being, they believe he's a spirit. Because when you read further, you are going to see that there is a king of Tyre. And they are able to make this assertion because when we read Daniel, the book of Daniel, we see the prince of Greece. The prince of Greece is mentioned there. So they are able to make that link. So this is not a human being. This is a spirit being spoken about. He said that because of your, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God. You see, so he is grasping what? Power. He is trying to let the entire universe know that, hey, I am equal with God. He said, I am a God. Now, the word God there is the word Elohim. When you look at the Hebrew, you're going to see the word Elohim. Now, Elohim is not technically the name of God. Elohim is like a title for, for beings that dwell in the spirit realm. So, when you read the Bible, you're going to see that, yes, God is mostly referred to as Elohim. But you're also going to see that idols and gods of other lands are also called Elohim. Then also, famously, um, Samuel, when he is brought back from the dead, uh, the, the witch of Endor says that, and I see Elo- an Elohim coming out. So Samuel, when he died and was divined out of the, of the spirit realm, was referred to as an Elo- Elohim. So he says that, I am an Elohim. I sit in the seats Elohim. In the heart of the seas. But remember the Bible says that God is enthroned over the waters. Yet you are but man and no God. You, you see, you are but man and no God. Though you make your heart like the heart of a God. You are indeed, you are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. But your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself. You have guarded gold. So, you see, so all these things are qualities of the prince of Tar. Now when you come down, you are going to read about the king of Tar. The king of Tar. The prince, the prince of Tar is the human being, and the king of Tar is the spirit. Sorry. So the king of Tar, you see that you are the beauty of perfection, the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. So the king of Tar was in Eden, the garden of God. And he says that every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, the carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. I'm just saying all this. He said that you were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you were. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you, till unrighteousness was found in you. So, there is a pride that comes with the fall. There is a self-awareness that comes with it. You, you see, look at 
all these things that man is trying to do. It's just like we, we are trying to rebuild the Tower of Babel. We want to go into space. We, we want to enter into the sun. We want to get to Saturn. We want to get to Jupiter. Why? Because we want to prove to God that we don't need him and that we are God. And that whatever he is capable of doing, we are also as men capable of doing. So we are fighting so hard to attain the one thing that we should not attain. Fighting for equality with God. Back to Philippians chapter 2. So though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now you see, it is important. What what is the master-servant relationship? The first thing about the master-servant relationship, the most distinguishing character of a master-servant relationship is obedience. Is the master gives a command and the servant obeys. So it is the way of obedience. Now, it might not necessarily be the way of love. Love might come later on. But the first characteristic of of the relationship between a master and a servant is, is the way of obedience. So we are trying to be restored back to the place where we, are, we will learn to obey God. He said that being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient. So you see, it is, it is the way of obedience. We know the song, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. What is the end of obedience? The end of obedience is what we read in verse 10 and 11. Said that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Let me start reading from verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Now remember, every knee should bow is a signifies or typifies living above the curse. Because you see... The knee that is bowing is, is, is speaking of the systems of men. And the systems of men are, are systems that are governed by demonic powers. So anybody trying to operate the system of man is, is not the cave, it's the case. See, so everybody trying to live in the system of man is living in the system that is governed by demons. So, if every knee is bowing, it means that you are living above the curse. Every time confess, everything in heaven on earth, under the earth. Right. So, he said that, and he's going to do this to the glory of God. So, the way of obedience, the way of self-control. Now, remember... For Jesus to hang on the cross, it took a lot of self-control. When he was being beaten, before he was beaten, remember Pilate gave him an opportunity to set himself free. But the Bible says that he did not say any word. Jesus could have been free. In fact, Pilate said, do you know that I have the power to set you free? And Jesus said something. 
to him. He said that every power that you have is because my father has given him. That if I wanted to be free, I can call legions. Jesus said, I can call legions of angels and they'll come and set me free. And he, in fact, he said, I will call 12 legions of angels. This we are going to find in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. But let's start reading from um, verse 52. It says that, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, that is to Peter. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Are you not aware that I can call on my father and he will at once, that is the key word, at once put up put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels can you imagine so it means that if jesus really decided not to die he could have chosen not to die he could have chosen not to die it took a lot of self-control on the part of jesus to accept the burden of dying for us. So, one of the things that we are going to see as Christ is living in the earth and going to the cross and being raised from the dead is that we are going to see these eight things that we talked about, Jesus trying to restore it back to us, especially the way of love, the way of love. He's trying to restore us to the place of obedience. Pray. You are in church. They say pray. We will not pray. We are not learning the way of obedience. Fast. We will not fast. We are not learning the way of obedience. Give. We will not give. We are not learning the way of obedience. Okay. You, you, dear, all pastors are thieves, so keep your money. But whilst you are keeping your money, um, study the word of God. Pray. Fast you will not do the way of obedience learning to live beyond the self every decision you, you know sometimes <laughs> i sometimes i'm leading prayer in church and i begin to laugh i don't know if it has happened before when you are leading prayer and you say that let's pray for Akufuado. now god will give him wisdom to rule the nation <laughs> do you hear how people will pray you don't even hear people pray. It's like they don't care. Even we heard that Christian Achu was dying. As even as you've gone to church and said that we want to take the entire, let's fast as a church a whole day and let's pray that Christian Achu will not die. How many of us will fast? But say that I had a vision and the Lord said that anybody who fasts in a day, I am going to open seven doors for the person. Or pray that anybody that is trying to destroy your life, destroy your marriage, destroy your children, pray that they will die by fire. Do you see how people pray with so much energy? And sometimes you are watching people pray, die by fire, die by fire. Hey, when we got married, we used to have a neighbor. <laughs> and he had this special recording. He would start playing the odd it's an audio recording it is only one prayer topic die by fire die by fire die 
he plays it from 12 a.m. to 5 a.m. And, and you see, the funny thing is that he sleep, you know. <laughs> it, it's not that he's even praying with the audio. He has, he has put the audio on so that the audio will pray for him. And he is sleeping, disturbing the neighborhood, thinking that Satan is afraid of the audio. Die by fire. Die by fire. Even, even your friend, eh, how many of us can, how many of us have even fasted a whole day praying for a friend before? That your friend will tell you that nowadays things are not going on well in my life. I feel that everything is crashing around me. And you decide on your own that, you know, I'm not even going to tell my friend. I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and ask God that God help my friend. (laughs) How many of us would do that? So you see, the temple is about restorations. And that is why this year our theme is the year of restorations. It is not one S. It is, it is plural. In the sense that God wants to bring us to a place where we can recognize him as a father and he can be our God. And we can trust him again. And we can solely depend on him again. And we can live above the curse. That we can live above the torment of the... Many of us here, Satan has his hand all over our lives. His signature is everywhere. And we don't seem to be able to break free of the influence of Satan. Why? It is because we are not allowing the systems... We are not trying to make sense of the systems... Some people, they have been told, they were told to fast three days. They fasted two and a half days. <laughs> and after that, they dared to question God that, but they think about him. Even when they said I fasted, me cry, me. If they know, they, they will know how well I have done. And me, I have never fasted six to six before. But I did six to six for two days. The third day, I did six to twelve, and I, 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 I that one I will have day. But they said do it for three days. We are so entitled. It is the self-awareness. We don't have control over our body. Many of us, we don't have control over our body. And that is why we do the things we do. We lie unprovoked. Uh, we fornicate when our body, we, we know that the, the, the spirit is saying no, but the body is saying yes. But at the end of the day, we give in to the body and we ask for forgiveness. Then we go and do it the next day again. We don't have any self-control. So you see, there are little things that we are being asked to do, whether it is in the meeting place or in keeping to the, the, the commands of the dwelling place. Please, let us make sense of it. It is so that God can restore us. You need power. You need glory. You need honor. You need breakthrough. You need influence. You need love. If we don't learn to keep these little things, we will think that, oh, I mean, 
it's it's my life i mean i'm so busy really you are busy but the thing is that how is your busyness helping you to live above the curse how is your busyness help helping you 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 are working 10 jobs you are you are thinking always strategizing you are doing 20 businesses has it improved your life has it improved your welfare has it given you power over the devil i am personally convinced that one of the things that all these temple systems principles activities processes methods demands that god is making of us i believe that one of the things aside bringing us to the place of learning obedience learning the ways of love is to bring us to the place where we definitely know that satan has no power over us because most of us are here but we are not convinced that satan has no power over us people of god i don't know which denomination you belong to personally i i care less i care less about denomination i care less whether you are presbyterian whether you are methodist whether you are catholic whether you are charismatic i care more for the fact that you are learning the ways of god now the last point i'm making then we we will pray for like five minutes then we close is that that we you know i made a point about that we will learn the ways of wisdom let's read isaiah chapter 45 is it isaiah 45 ah i don't know is it isaiah 45 i'll see if it's isaiah 45 i don't know why i'm saying isaiah 45 but uh, uh, Isaiah 45 let me see if it's Isaiah 45 yes it's Isaiah 45 now in Isaiah 45 it's an interesting prophecy you see Isaiah 45 is one of the most powerful prophecies in the bible isaiah prophesies on this day and by the spirit of god isaiah says that a man is going to come and he's going to be ruler and he's going to dethrone nabucadnezzar and the babylonian kingdom he's going to be a meadow persian and his name is going to be called cyrus and he mentioned his name cyrus then he gave all these prophecies concerning cyrus then do you know the interesting thing 150 years exactly to the day 150 years exactly to the day of this prophecy what happens a king called cyrus comes and he dethrones the babylonian kingdom 
and he comes in the day of Daniel. <laughs> and so one of the things that the, the rabbis believed was that, you know, Daniel was a man that studied prophecy. So Daniel took the prophecy to Cyrus after he had conquered Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian kingdom and said that 150 years ago, the God that I serve, he mentioned you by your name. And he said that he was going to do this with you. And after he does this with you, you are going to do this for him. And that is why when you read the account of Nehemiah and Ezra and Zachariah, you are going to see that Cyrus allowed the, uh, the Jews that were in captivity in the land of Babylon. He gave them money to come back to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. It was because of this prophecy. But that is just fun fact about the Bible. That's not the point I want to make. We are talking about recognizing the ways of wisdom. And I'm going to make the point with regard to just with just what I said. Verse number 5 says that I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun from the west and there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light, I create and create darkness. I make well, I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord. Who does all these things? What am I saying? I am saying that the God that we serve, there is none like him. He knows tomorrow from today. So when we read down, this is what he says in verse number 11. This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel, the one who formed him. Ask me of things to come, and I will command, will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. I have stirred him up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. What am I saying? I am saying that the God that we serve, he knew a man 150 years before that man existed. God is saying pray because God knows what will happen to you in June. That is why he's telling you to pray now. That is why he's asking you to fast now. That is why he's saying, I go to church on time. You see, all these things, we don't, we don't put value on it because some of us, we've timed ourselves. We know when they will start preaching. So we've timed ourselves that I want to get to church when they've started preaching. But you see, all these things is so that God can restore us to the place of honor, the place of power, the place of glory. The place where we have 
dignity in the some of us we are christians but we don't have dignity in the name of the lord when you tell anybody that you are a christian they laugh at you because your life does not speak dignity no dignity so my people and god's precious people it is my humble request listen i am learning as much as you are learning you know sometimes i wonder what i am going to say i have nothing planned all i have done is that this year i have committed myself to read everything i can read about the temple and how it used to be what it is what the rabbis have said it was every material i can get on on the temple i am trying to study and you see the more i study the more i begin to appreciate the wisdom of god the wisdom of god the wisdom of god god is not asking you to go to church at six o'clock god is not asking you to go to bible study god is not asking you to go to prayer meeting because it is a, a fun factor no it is because he wants to restore something in your life he wants to restore you and i to the place where his name will have dignity in our lives a lot of people don't respect our God because we have made it so. You see, I doubt that if anybody is going for an, an occult meeting, they will be late. I doubt it. If they will be late, I'm sure that they will ask permission. It is only us believers who don't have respect for the God that we serve. We have no respect for God or his house or his systems or his principles, or his, or his teachings, or his instructions, or his commandments. We, we have altered this regard. When God speaks, we are, unless it is going to benefit us. We don't know how to sacrifice for God. Elijah appeared before the widow and said that God's, my God said that you are going to take care of me, so I'm hungry. I've come. I want I want cake. <laughs> so go and bake me cake to eat. And said that man of God, I tell you the truth. This is my last. I'm not saying give me your manual. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that sometimes you go to a church, you belong to a fellowship. There is a man of God, a woman of God you call your father, your honor. There is a church which you call your church. The question is, when we tell you that this is what God is demanding of you, do you try to make sense of it? Spiritually, physically, emotionally. Or you join the bandwagon of the world and say that, they are trying to exploit us. Remember, God is spirit. Whatever he is telling us to do in his house, it has spiritual connotations that are supposed to bring physical manifestations. And as long as we are disrespecting the ways of God, we cannot in any way expect God to 
honor our lives with glory and dignity. My prayer for you and I this evening is that we will make sense. See, God does not feel inferior. And I, I don't want you to think that me, I'm not one of those people who don't encourage people to ask questions. It is your right to question the things that are being done in the house of God. Because you have to make sense of it. It's not everything that you are going to make sense of. It's not everything that you are going to understand. That is the mystery part of the, of the church. It is Mystery is part of our processes in the church. But as much as possible, ask God that I want to understand. Make me understand. You see, when you understand the reason why you pray, you will not need a witch to motivate you to pray. You will not need a prophecy of doom to motivate you to pray. You will not need a prophecy of catastrophe to motivate you to fast. If you understand why, you will do it on your own. You will pray on your own. You will study the word on your own. You will meditate on your own. You will share the gospel on your own. If you only understand, make sense of what God is asking you to do. Why are you saying I should pray? Why are you saying I should fast? Ask God questions. God is not like man that feels like you want to challenge my authority. No. Make sense of it. If you understand it, nobody can deceive you. A lot of us are deceived because we, we, we don't understand what we are doing in the house of God. My prayer for you and I this evening is that we will understand how God is trying to restore us. How God is trying to bring dignity, honor, and glory into our lives. And that we will give ourselves fully to the ways of the temple. Whether it is the meeting place or the dwelling place. That we will commit ourselves fully to the activities. To the demands, to the requirements, to the ordinances of the temple. And I know that as we apply ourselves fully. Doing it with understanding revelation. The Lord will truly restore us this year. Wherever you are, I want you to pray and ask God to give you grace this this year to make sense of the things he's asking you to do. Make sense of it. And if even if you don't understand, it, it, it took... When Isaiah spoke, Isaiah did not live to see his prophecy fulfilled. It took 150 years. He had died and gone. But you see, a day came, what he said 150 years later, he made sense for somebody. He made sense for somebody. You are even praying that God, even if I don't understand it now, let, let a son after me, a daughter after me, a great-grandchild after me makes sense of the things you are asking me to do. When Abraham was planting altars, when Abraham was paying tithes, when Abraham was offering sacrifices, he did not live to see 
his seed become a nation. But today we talk about Abraham and we know that truly he is the father of nations. We are praying that God give me that grace. God give me that grace. God bless you for listening. Maranatha, the Lord comes.